welcome to New Persuasive Words, a podcast of hope-seeking understanding. You're invited to listen in to an ongoing conversation about theology, culture, and politics between your co-hosts, Scott Jones and Bill Bohr. Regardless of topic, Bill and Scott offer intelligent insights and critiques, sometimes funny, occasionally contentious, but always remaining friends. Now, here are Scott and Bill. Welcome back to the show. This is episode 265, and I'm Scott Jones. And I'm Bill Bohr. Bill, hello. How are you? I'm well. Good to be here today, back in the bunker. And uh, it's been a while since we recorded here. Yeah, we recorded in New York City. Yeah, recently. last Thursday. That was, was fun. fun. Yeah. At yeah. the uh, Shades of Green, which is a very nice establishment, I thought. <laughs> well, it's, I like Shades of Green. Yeah, it worked. It worked. Yeah. And uh, a crossover episode with crackers and grape juice um, in the backdrop of the Mockingbird conference. Yeah, so, so there was a ecumenical kind of sem- a rogues gallery, an ecumenical okay. <laughs> rogues gallery, we could say, yeah. there at the, uh, at, the uh, at the old conference. Yeah, so uh, check that out. That was our last podcast. That would be 264. So, um, And I think it's a subject, well, in some levels, today's topic will probably spill over. We'll spill over. We'll spill over. We're always this, spilling. Spill, spilling. Spilling over, spilling under, spilling into. But we were... Um, we were talking about Game of Thrones earlier. Earlier today, today which yeah. is, I'll tell you, that was, a, uh, I would, I think, it's fair to say a much anticipated episode. Uh, it did not disappoint me. No, I liked it as well very much. I mean, it's pretty, you get a sense of the phenomena that Game of Thrones is just by the sheer amount of space it took up in, you know, everything from the New York Times to, all kinds of strange things on uh, social networks and YouTube things. It was uh, uh, it was huge. I mean, I guess it's uh, – I didn't see the numbers, but they set some kind of record, didn't they? Yeah, and you know, that was not just the longest battle scene in Game of Thrones. It's the longest battle series scene ever filmed. Yeah, that's what they said. Yeah, I actually thought they did a good job. Uh, I can't remember which review said this, but – the going back and forth between the battlefield, which was so chaotic, and then what was going on in the crypt, I thought that was effective. And then the uh, uh, thriller, yeah, being chased by zombies through the library, um, yeah. And I loved, I love who the hero was. Well, there were all, there were many heroes in it, but yeah, I, I'm I'm happy with who killed the Night King. Yeah, I mean, she'd been working to, you know, she's been working as a killer. She took away. Uh, Put out the eyes of many, blue, green. <laughs> yes. Uh, so even a mass murderer can be redeemed. <laughs> yeah. No, we like that. I mean, yeah. we're for that. No. So it was a lot of fun. You know, one of the things, we almost did an episode on the ep- on the previous uh, Game of Thrones episode. You were commenting, you know, it was a great uh, picture of people coming together in defense of humanity. People. Yeah, in, in face of an existential threat, which yeah. like are, we seem incapable of in, our country, in the United States anyway. Well, we you know we did after nine eleven, but I I, we, I would argue that we in the world are worse because of our responses to nine eleven, and that's a whole other topic. Yeah, you know, but nine eleven it's interesting because it was har it was a horrible tragedy, but it wasn't like an existential. It wasn't going to kill. It's it's not like uh, climate change. Yeah, I was could, say, it's they, not like what we're ignoring right exactly, now. Exactly, that yeah. could kill the planet. But you know, it's pre- it's interesting because this I, I tweeted something out this article that this guy interviewed who wrote this great book on nuclear power, and he wrote this op-ed with Pinker and somebody else, and Bill Gates retweeted their op-ed. But 
He talks about that book, why climate change is just the wrong thing for humanity. Because it's like all these psychological studies show like abstraction, can't see the effects immediately, like easy to sort of like, like obfuscate and waffle. Like there's all these reasons psychologically why this is the thing that we are least equipped to deal with as in sense of social psychology. What we need is more pictures of baby penguins dying. Yeah, that would do yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, there was a whole colony wiped out in Antarctica. So, yeah, but I think it's been um, – it is quite the phenomenon. It's a nice escape. Uh, and, I, I, you know, people complained about, you know, the darkness and things like that. And I, I get that. But uh, – um, Yeah, that was a huge compl- – Howard Stern was livid <laughs> about that. Well, you know – he, he was like, you know what? I wish I wish the Night King came all, killed them all, including the director. Just like <laughs> – you know, and, and they were – now, Fred Norris did something on the show. Now, I have to check this. But that a lot of it was shot in candlelight, and HBO told him the candle budget was going too high. So I don't know. I mean, I'm going to research that. But I don't know. Well, it's interesting. Uh, my son and I watched it. John and I watched it, and then uh, I guess it was today I was passing through the house, and he uh, he had it on again, and he and, and he turned up the bright, and it was a little it was a little better. But uh, there were things I just didn't, I didn't watch the whole thing again, but there were things I missed. It was uh, worth looking at again. So shadows or ghosts survived. I saw that. I read. Yeah. I read all these things about like stuff that you missed. Like this person survived. This person died. And ghost was in. I didn't miss it, but ghost was in the last. Ghost was right there in the front. Yeah, the dog. Yeah, And made it back. He made it alive, and all the Dothraki died. That was that was very effective. <laughs> I love you. I had like three or four death rocky running, running back. <laughs> like, no, that, was, that was an effective scene where the uh, the lighting of the swords and then watching him from a distance. That was, and they captured the uh, the growing the despair in the faces of everybody. That was that was pretty. It was fun. Yeah, it was good. And uh, three more episodes uh, left, and maybe then we'll have to go read books again or something. Yeah. Wow, this is uh, Benjamin Cohen, our friend from West Virginia, who just got commissioned to write a column why he moved from the city to the country. Like, very interesting. He's from yeah. So he just posted something from from the from the Grapevine website where he works as journalist. The Game of Thrones season eight episode reviews on YouTube. So we'll, so we'll look at that. Yeah, we will look at that. Yeah, and, I was in West Virginia this past weekend. Uh, and uh, celebrating the life of my uncle, my last uncle, who passed away in the winter. But we, his, my aunt wanted to wait till the spring, and so we had a really amazing celebration. He, he truly was um, the epitome of gentle and strength and integrity all wrapped in one. So, God bless you, Uncle Jim. And uh, yeah, it was a great. Uh, it was. Could a say that set. about Ned Stark. Yeah, could say it about Ned Stark. Yeah, you know what I like that Ned Stark passed on. That John, you know, lived up to his son. All the, the one who passes the sentence should swing the sword. Right. I love that. I love that. <laughs> yeah. I love that you know that you see these guys. Hey, if you're going to pass the sentence, you got to do the beheading. That's right. I think our president would probably enjoy that. I don't think he'd have the guts to. No, do. I, don't I, don't think, I don't think he would. No. I don't that. No, he he doesn't even do the firing. I That's mean, true. That's true. I mean, he has to have. He's what, he's, what, a, he's a lot the, of talk. He's all he talk. He had John. What's his uh, General Kelly call. Uh, yeah. Call uh, uh, Tillerson on the uh, yeah, while right. he was on the on the on the toilet and fire. <laughs> now Trump doesn't like to fire. I mean, he doesn't have that. He likes he likes to talk about. He it. likes it on Twitter. I mean, yeah. he, I, and yeah. it's interesting because David Brooks has commented about this, you know, in several venues where he's talked to good personal friends of Trump who said the guy as rambunctious 
and arrogant and kind of combative as he is in places like television and social media, he absolutely is mortified by conflict, like interpersonal conflict. So he doesn't like interpersonal, like, so he'll shout at you or call Rosie a pig or do this or Twitter. But if you're in the room, it, it, he, he just it, he doesn't have a stomach for that. That's why he stuff. can't handle the like the, the press, the, you know, the, pr- the annual press. Gathering. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because it's a thing where he's not in control of it, and you gotta. It's very interesting. Yeah. What do you, uh, since we're doing a recap? What do you what do you make of Uncle Joe entering into the race, and he immediately is the front runner in the Democrats, at least according to one poll I read. Yeah. Oh, and he he went up. He jumped up like thirteen points. or he's like thirty percent. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I think it's interesting. I mean, I think that. He, so many people in polls apparently want a return to normalcy. So he pitches himself as the, as the return to normalcy. And, and interesting too, I think one of the things in his launch, he plays on a return theme and also a change theme. So we want change going forward, but part of that change would go back to the sanity of recent politics. You know, so right. it's interesting because it's it's he's got a slight nostalgia and a look forward and change thing, which I think is interesting. And it's interesting too because he's not really he's running like a front runner right now. He's just just ignoring the rest of the field and just to kind of talking about Trump, which is who knows. I mean, I think that you. I mean, what did Rachel Maddow said? In the primaries, you vote with your heart, and the general, you vote with your head. So it's very hard to game out. Like, oh, that makes me really nervous about our country and anew. <laughs> well, well, I'm just kidding. What she's saying is electability no, is a really complex, no. right? It is way yeah. to because you know how do you, how do you game all that? But the, you know the other interesting thing is that article that just came out in the New York Times. I think Peter Baker wrote about how Obama really pushed Biden not to run. Like, okay. You know, he really not directly, but very indirectly. Yeah. And then you think now again, Monday morning quarterback hindsight's twenty twenty, but. Man, I mean, if he could have got the nomination, I bet you could have got those eighty thousand votes. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I bet he would have got all of the votes Hillary Clinton got, and and wouldn't have suffered from the from the kind of I anyone but Hillary. Yeah, he could he could have very well carried Pennsylvania. So I don't know, but yeah, again, who knows? Who I mean, knows, these yeah. are these are, and you know, people are feeling the burn. I mean, the Bernie Sanders thing is. Yeah, well, you know, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting to to see what see what happens. I think it's a I think the uh, Democratic field is really some a lot of quality people, and there's some ideas being. It's good to hear policy and ideas being spoken of. And uh, yeah, it is. I mean, it is a very policy driven primary in, in that you know. I mean, I think that even though the Republicans had a big field, there was a lot of policy agreement, and so you had in many ways like Trump just went kind of hardcore on right. nationalism and immigration and kind of broke out of the field, build the wall. I mean, just, it, yeah. just but it, it, was that even degree or kind, you know I mean? There's, right. but there's at least, you know, one big divide around kind of, you know, are we going in a socialist, social democracy direction? Do we want to go more in that direction or do we want to sort of stay in what others call the neoliberal direction, the kind of, you know, much more like what we've been doing. Right. Uh, that, I mean, that's an interesting policy debate, and, and uh, you know, we'll see. Yeah, we will see how it works out. Still a lot of time for things to happen. And um, What do you think, Bill, convicts voting during their sentence, felons voting during their sentence? No, no, I don't think so. I, I, don't, I don't think people should well, – I think this idea that uh, people who have served their time should be able to have their franchise. Uh, I think people, felons, permanently lose their uh, voting right. I mean, that would put a lot of – Ex-Trump people out of the, yeah, out of the future work there, but um, 
No, but I think uh, I don't think while you're in, in incarcerated you should vote. No, be able to vote. I think that's should, you, you're, you're you, you've been re, you've been removed from society, and therefore you know I think that's that's part of that. If you're incarcerated, should you be able to vote on American Idol? Like <laughs> on the you know the if you get a phone, absolutely, could you get a phone? That's contraband. Right? You know, one of the things that's kind of we take so much for granted, but um, we had uh, when I was at media. We were – it was the county seat and we had a lot of, uh, you know, people that had mainstreamed into the community who were special needs, were mentally challenged. And uh, we voted to, on a building to build – whether or not to go into a building program. And I can remember none of those people were so excited because they had never gotten to vote for anything before. And they were members of the church. And it was just a very – it was a very uh, – Yeah, that's – yeah. That was a very powerful thing and, and – um, I don't know. It just reminds you of of what could be right about the church, what's wrong about our society, and a lot of other things. But that was a very—I can remember just being struck by how just enthusiastic and and proud they were. They got to vote for. Something. I wish that the primaries were like more like reality TV, where you got voted off the island, like on Survivor, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the Immunity Idols. That was a great show. That was like such the water cooler show for a couple of years. I mean, it's still on, but it's not as big. But and at the next, you know, when you get voted off the candidates at the next debate, they say goodbye to you. You know, you you get to show up at the beginning. Yeah. But yeah. Then they, oh yeah. 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 You get to say goodbye. And yeah, I had a dream the other day. It was weird. It, it was a combination where I was like in this real, really weird. Like I was a candidate on Survivor, but it turned into Lost. Oh. <laughs> like it morphed wow. into like a production into like I was in an alternative like thing, and like it was pretty cool. Yeah, that that sounds like that would be much more fun as a Jungian interpretation than a Freudian. I would go Jungian on that one. That's that's kind of fun. I, I just interviewed this woman who wrote this book called Divorcing Mom, and hmm. basically she talks about how like her religion wasn't Christianity. It was, it was psychoanalysis and they made her see this analyst. And this analyst was horrible. And, and so basically like her, she was raised like a fundamentalist Freudian. It's awesome. <laughs> I mean, and her book is so good. I mean, it, it's fantastic. Right? Like, yeah. It's pretty, uh, she knew a lot about it. Her, and her, th- her analyst never stopped talking about himself. Oh yeah. Yeah. Did you, have you seen, uh, I think I asked this before. Have you watched afterlife yet? No, one, I, I, maybe no. one of the, maybe one of the worst therapists ever in 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 in, uh, in fiction. Uh, Ricky Gervais's therapist is absolutely awful. It's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's so terrible. Like Lindy and I love that show Hannibal, and like what's sad is he's a pretty good psychiatrist in the, th- the scene. And you're like, gosh, you kind of want to go to him as a psychiatrist and, until he eats you. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, you want to be kind of bored. You, yeah. you, you want to be relatively boring to him, but not rude. Because he can't, that's his big, biggest thing that offends him. If you're rude. He, he, he eats rude people very often. So <laughs> you want to be like not on his radar and polite. And he'd probably, you'd probably be a fine patient. Yeah, yeah. What, what, what wine pairing do you go with rude people? Uh, that's, do, there's a Maybe one, a Malbec. There's one scene where he makes a guy eat himself. It's Eddie Lizard. Eddie Lizard. And he's like, what? And, oh, God. Over time, he amputates limbs and he sits there and has to eat himself. He how was long, rude. And, and, how and, long did he keep Eddie Lizard alive? A while. A while. Oh, that's awful. I'll tell you, Mag, Mads, Mads Milken. I forget how you say the guy's name, the guy that played that. I would have been so afraid to take to follow Anthony Hopkins in any role. And I think he did. He was a better Hannibal than Anthony Hopkins. Yeah, Anthony Hopkins is a pretty amazing actor. I never watched that, but I heard good things. Oh, uh, 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 yeah. it's one of the best 
aesthetically shot things in time. I'm I'm shocked it was on network television. But it, I, but yeah, but I'm also kind of the idea that he had one of his patients eat himself. That that may not be a that may not make me want to watch it. Yeah, that's like yeah. It's like that was seen in the Game of Thrones where she has him eat his sons. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty bad. Pretty bad. But nonetheless, we we move on. Well, we do this is a good segue into the Christian life. <laughs> so we could say, look, ecumenically, there's a lot of things in a divided, polarized trial world we can't agree. I feel like we can still agree on cannibalism. Yeah, we're all against that. We're all against that. Ironically, though, the Christians were accused of cannibalism yeah. in the second century. Yeah. The blood of Christ. Eating the body and blood of some Christ guy. I want to take a brief moment to ask you a quick question. Do you like this podcast? Do you enjoy it? Do you look forward to listening to it while you do a morning, afternoon, or evening routine, or while you're exercising, or while you're caught frustrated in traffic? Do you tune into it because of the conversations you find here? If the answer to the aforementioned questions is yes, or even just a solid maybe, would you do something for me? Would you consider becoming a Patreon sponsor of the podcast for just five bucks a month? Or more, it's for a good cause. You can help this podcast and one of the many others I do keep going. And you can help launch several other podcast projects I've got in the works. So I invite you to be a patron through Patreon of this, which I think is an art form you're enjoying and will continue to enjoy. Again, any contribution is welcome, but for five bucks a month, you will get a shout out on the thank you roll call, which begins right now. Thank you, David Babico, Andrew Stravitz, Barry Stewart, Ben Crosby, Ben DeHart, Carol Clemens, Charlotte Donlin, David Norling, David Zoll, Ellis Brazil, Jennifer Spite, Jennifer Underwood, Jim Cress, Joel Wentz, John Schneider, Jonathan Butrin, Jordan Mossberger, Josh Redder, Kai Wittenpeg, Larry Rule, Liam O'Brien, Michael Butera, Peter Steigerwald, Samantha Konauer, Sari Graham, Simone Garabedian, Stephen Rowe, and Jody Stevenson. If you want to join these patrons through Patreon, just go to patreon.com forward slash Scott Kent Jones. Thanks again for listening, and now back to the show. Yeah, well, um, our conversation in the last podcast in New York uh, was about the, uh, the legitimacy of the Christian life. Can we talk about the Christian life? And um, which we generally always say yes to that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and um, I, I guess part of it is the tension, I think, because, uh, you know, a lot of our lives are reactions to what we are coming from. And um, there certainly is an awful lot of, for lack of a better word, legalism, uh, moralism as a substitute for Christianity or spirituality in all branches of Christianity. And I think I can understand, for instance, why people in trying to correct that uh, by emphasizing grace uh, can end up being nervous about anything they feel like feels like works of any sort. Yeah, it's interesting because Christian Smith, the great sociologist who has written a lot of stuff, but he was first famous for that exhaustive study of adolescent and then young adult spirituality, right, emerging right, adulthood, right. where he coined in this study this term moralistic therapeutic deism. Yeah. The religion of all these kids, whether they grew up in secular homes, Jewish homes, Mormon homes, Episcopalian, Methodist, by and large, most of them were what he called moralistic therapeutic deists. And 
So moralism, basically, their God, I mean, he, he used a seventh grader's interview answer to summarize it. I mean, you know, don't be an asshole. <laughs> That's, that was the, and then, so it's moralistic, don't be an asshole. Then there's the therapeutic, like God wants you to be happy. Right. And it's deistic. I mean, it's, it's kind of Bette Midler from a distance that it's yeah. not a personal God that's interactive. But that, I mean, so, I mean, that kind of. Or God is personal coach. Right. Personal <laughs> life coach. Your <laughs> life coach, yeah. Life coach Jesus. God wants you to have a wonderful self-image. Yeah. I mean. And, and the Bible's, I, that's my favorite. I used to ask, how many of you think God wants you to have a good self-image? Raise their hand. I go, so where in the Bible is that? Well, it's not, and that's the whole point. Is that, but that doesn't mean God doesn't want you to have a good self-image. It just means that it's a modern con- construct, and uh, that we're that part of the task of Christianity is trying to make sense of that which is timeless about the faith in, in a timely way. How do we? How do we do that? Did and, God want the Night King dead? Uh, I think so. Yeah. yeah, I'm pretty sure. You're once you're at that point, huh? Once you're at that point of undead. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, it took a long time for it to happen. I mean, most people that walk by cemeteries and you know you see mourning, and I think and I, the Night King looks at his recruit. <laughs> <laughs> Happy time. Exactly. I mean, uh, he always, you know, he's very persuasive. He yeah. just puts that hand up. You just, you know. Well, it, you know, we were talking about the kind of the so there can almost become this antinomianism where there's an there is a um, this idea that. You know, we, anything we, you know, there is no such thing as a Christian life. Uh, Jesus didn't really mean anything he said in the, on the sermon, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, that sometimes Christianity is reduced to a particular reading of St. Paul. And that might be the evangelical, um, version of it or the Lutheran version of it, uh, or a mis, at least a, a kind of Lutheranism. And then the other one is that there really isn't sin. There really isn't any judgment. So, God's God's Mr. Rogers, and so he just wants everybody, you know, as long as you try to follow your own bliss or as long as you are, are sincere. Uh, we've all been at those, well, not all of us, but you and I have been at those ecclesial gatherings where the prayer of confession went something, Lord, forgive us for not Maybe living— Maybe feel better. Forgive us for not living up to our petition. Forgive us for not believing in ourselves. Uh, forgive us for not uh, just being happy or moral. You know, it's kind of— uh, Forgive us for for not thinking about ourselves first. You know, it's kind of the uh, the uh, the corruption of everything a prayer of confession is supposed to be. And uh, you and I were going back and forth, I guess, last week and saying, you know, it's kind of the point. It's not anti nomadism. It's just a nomadism. There is there is no. There's nothing. It's not. Uh, yeah, it's not more than anti law. There is there is nothing. Yeah, and I, you know, I mean the the place that I saw, I I feel like I've seen this most. Uh, of late was in say like Nadia Boltz Weber's new book on sexuality where it's basically like anything that doesn't it's sort of safe sane and consensual it's sane I don't even know if that would be and then you know you shouldn't and, and as long as it doesn't cause shame and there's just sort of the sense that you know that, that basically there is no there is nothing that really is out of bounds and then it's interesting because I wonder if there's grace there because if if nothing's if part of like uh, well there wouldn't be any need for grace if nothing's right. out of bounds right yeah so there's this interesting kind of anomianism where sometimes where grace becomes a me a word for I'm okay you're okay it's happy every, shiny everything's, people everything's, everything's okay right <laughs> yeah. which is yeah I'm okay you're okay and uh, yeah it's just one that's you know. 
It's just one big happy place. We all go to our happy places. That's great. I like happy places. Well, I like happy too. But I think it, 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 you know, one of the things that Christianity, I think, consistently has been good about or, or right about over, the, over its history is a uh, fair assessment of the limitations of the human nature. And in some levels, that's redemption. Um, it's redemption without repentance. Um, and it's resurrection without death. You know, it really is. Uh, it's a, it's a, <laughs> ironically, it's a perverted gospel of, of glory, not the cross. And though so they would be mortified to think of it that way. I found this, I found this on a blog called Transforming Grace. And I can't figure out who the author is, but I will try to f- figure it out. I'll put it in the show notes over. But this person had this post about the difference between legalism, antinomianism, neonomianism. I didn't know there was a neo. I know I'm into it, and <laughs> and then he has his own definition of the gospel in four lines. He says, "But so all right, so let me tell, see what you think of these." Legalism, he says, is the separation of the law of God from the character of God and the cross of Christ. So for him, the legalist says, "I'm saved by being good. I know what being good is because the law of God tells me what is good. Therefore, I focus on good works and ignore Christ." Yeah, my reading of the law tells me that. Right. Yeah, and that's not that's not how the Jews understand Torah. Anyway. Now, his antinomianism, what he would say, is the separ- since it's the same thing, the separation of the, of the law of God from the character of God and the cross of Christ. So the antinomian says, I'm saved by God through Jesus' death on the cross, and I don't need to keep the law. Therefore, I keep on worshiping Christ, but don't do good works. Kind of morally different. And then he says, this is your new one that you didn't know about, nor did I. <laughs> uh, I like this, man. This guy's on the cutting edge. Neonomianism, the combination of the law of God with the character of God and the cross of Christ. And he says, so the neonomian says, I've been saved by faith in Jesus Christ, and I must do good works to show that my faith is alive. Therefore, I think less about Christ than about my own good works, and I'm not sure if I have ever done enough good works to show that I have saving faith. That's the neonomian. Oh, okay. Now, I'll give you this person's example. I, I hate that I can't find who the author is, but, you know, again, I'll link to it. Transforminggrace.wordpress.com. Is the website. And then the true gospel, <laughs> I always get nervous, you know, when everybody says the true gospel, but <laughs> just, and I'm not, I don't, not saying that against this poster. It's just always, I'm like, it's just interesting. As opposed to everybody else, yeah, I just, will give you what's true. Here, okay, I'm sorry. You know, here it is. There it is. The combination and separation of the law of God with the character of God and the cross of Christ. So this is what he thinks the true faith says something like, I've been saved from the penalty of the law by the grace of God through faith in Christ for good works. I cannot add anything to what Christ has done for me on the cross. Therefore, I do not need to do good works to be saved. However, I know that good works flow from my knowledge of Christ. So I aim to think only about what Christ has done to save me, knowing that good works will flow from my relationship with him. All right. There you go. Where's Where's the Holy Spirit? And Well, I guess it's assumed there. The well, yeah, I don't know. You I don't, how do you get united with the Christ? Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, again, and I'm not so sure that good works flow from my knowledge of Christ. As much as my being in Christ. Right, yeah. I mean, union with Christ would be yeah. a better... Union with Christ. I mean, it's interesting, because I was doing some research on this topic before we came a few minutes, just kind of surfing around the web, and somebody had this interesting article about how the cure for legalism and antinomianism was the same thing, union with Christ. Yeah, yeah. That that union with Christ is is the thing that, you know, that... that, that allows the life in Christ, you know, it's, it's participation in Christ so that the, that they saw that the, 
person that's kind of the legalist or moralist and the person that sort of says, ah, the more sin I make, the more grace I take, you know, indifferent to sort of, tr- you know, trying to live gratefully in light of the grace of Christ, that, that, that union with Christ is, is what really shows the bankruptcy of both of those. Yeah, and I think the, union, the emphasis on union with Christ also immediately is a communal thing as well. Because we are all in Christ, and so how is I, that socialism? <laughs> yeah, it's uh, yeah, it could be. We will never be communal in that way with Christ. <laughs> I'm in the body of Christ, but I'm keeping my checkbook to myself. <laughs> yeah, but I, I like that. The, you know, I think you know he had me for a while there. I mean, I think it's an it's a, certainly a corrective, but I would change union of Christ and also the doctrine of the Holy Spirit that. Uh, Christ in me uh, is not only the hope of glory, but it's the fountain by which, you know, God through me, in spite of me sometimes, but nonetheless with me, shares the good news and shares faith, hope, love, and all those things. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that we should do a podcast sometime on this follow up. Maybe we'll do the next uh, follow up. But there was an article written about Bart and John Milbank. John Milbank, of course, the great founder of sort of the, the radical orthodoxy movement. He's a British theologian. And it was... Neo-Augustinian. Neo-Augustinian. Neo, Neo, Neo. Neo. <laughs> and it, the title is... It's on sort of their views on ethics and the Christian life. Yeah. And, it, and the subtitle of the article is, Can a Command Be a Gift? Hmm. And because Bart does have definitely a kind of command theory approach to... Christian ethics. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I think I, I wonder that here, like the issue I think existentially is if I am free, I feel most free when there is no tension between is and ought, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And at the moment there's tension between is and ought, I experience the ought as constraint. Right. And this is why Aristotle would say, like, you're not free if, like, you say, you know, to your wife, you can, hey, I had 19 opportunities to sleep with other women today. And each time I, you know, like you're more free when, when you're less conscious of opportunities, that kind of thing. Like, you know, and the most free is God, right? For whom is and ought, act and being or not. There's no, they're synonymous. So, I mean, I think that the, the question and me, and this is probably back to the with Christ stuff, I'm sure. Like, but at what, I think anytime in the attempt to, live in light of you know the grace of christ whatever we would call it that what you know that somehow real freedom comes when we don't feel the tension between what what is or what we ought to do and what we're doing or, who, or what is what the ought is and who we are our inclinations and so yeah and I, mean, I, I think that is the the rub yeah and i also think sometimes the it really it really matters who the gift giver is and how, whether or not we trust the gift giver. I mean, I think uh, that it's interesting, can, can a commandment be a gift? Well, that really is the Jewish understanding of Torah, that it was a gift. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And so, I, and I think, to me, I don't think we lose that idea that what all God gives us are good gifts. I think um, that the Torah in and of itself was not not enough. And, I, and the fact is that there, the Torah was a... You know, I think Paul talks about it in different ways, but I think when he's trying to, I think when he, in Romans, when he's trying to back off some of the extremeness of his rhetoric in Galatians, or at least the way his rhetoric is is understood, 
I do think he tries to be a little more nuanced. About we have to do that sometimes. Back huh? off the extreme. Oh, sure, absolutely, all the time. We should once we if we ever listen to what we say, we say, "Oh my goodness." I try to avoid that. <laughs> but no, I think it's an. Usually, I listen to what we say when somebody else points it out. Do we say that? Did we actually say that? Or remember the time we asked the listeners to tell us what we were thinking? Yeah, and, yeah. and some of them did. Someone yeah. did. Yeah, so we appreciate it. I think there's more to talk about this, but I think this is a good good kickoff. It's this yeah. idea of union in Christ. Um, Maybe, you know, in terms of isn't in, through, by Christ, those words we say in the liturgy, uh, in the communion liturgy. Uh, it's all about the prepositions. Yep. It's all about the prepositions. Thank you, friends. Take and care. Uh, look forward to following up on this. This is, this is worthwhile. Yeah. And uh, if you have comments, questions, uh, insights, please yeah, let us please know. Please let us know. Thanks. Thank you so much. Yep. Take care. Hey listeners, thanks for joining us for today's episode of New Persuasive Words. Hope you enjoyed Scott and Bill's conversation, and will join us back here next time. Until then, thanks for listening, and God bless.